find the baller. My life is more than money and jewelry. My story's so crazy, dog. I said make a movie behind the baller. I went from playing sports to exotic whips. Ain't gotta tell me, dog. I know I'm the shit behind the baller. My life is more than money and jewelry. My story's so crazy, dog. I said make a movie behind the baller. I went from music exec to this podcast. Now I finally feel at home at last. Behind the baller. Yo, yo, you are listening to a world championship podcast founded and recorded live and direct from Los Angeles, California. This is the Behind the Baller Show. I am your host, the Korean Tommy Lasorda, the Korean Fernando Valenzuela, the Asian Vin Scully, but also known as the Korean John Cusack, and of course, last but not least, the Forrest Gump of Hip Hop. Yo, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is your boy, Ben Baller. This is going to be a fucking L.A. gang banging episode. We got my bro, P-Rod, on the fucking pod today. COVID is back, but really it never left, okay? Lockdowns in Europe and soon to be here are coming Of course, we're going to talk about the World Series and the Justin Turner situation. Of course, a little bit about the hobby. Oh, yeah. They woke up the old bear, a.k.a. me. All right. So I got a rant about jewelry on this episode and much more on a brand new hi-fi, high-definition stereo episode of BTB. Miles, Jordan, the Dust Brothers. Let's fucking go. You know how the price of gold has been skyrocketing lately, right? There's an easy way to buy gold through our friends at Acre. Acre lets you subscribe to gold bars for as little as $30 a month. You pay each month, and once your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, they discreetly ship Acre gold to your house. And just recently, Acre has introduced a new $100 a month subscription to a five gram gold bar. Acre lets you invest in physical gold without coming out of the pocket all at once. Acre keeps you updated via email on your gold stash every month and ships out once you reach the price threshold. With Acre, taking physical delivery of your gold means it's safe and sound in your hands. Acre ships your gold directly and discreetly to your door. Visit getacregold.com forward slash baller and start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to this URL because Acre is giving away gold. To qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention at get underscore acre. Right, again, that's getacregold.com forward slash baller. So, yo, I love LA. You already know. Fuck you guys. <laughs> All you clowns out there talking about, yo, you don't know what you're talking about. This is the COVID championship. This is a fucking asterisk. This ain't even a real, real championship you guys won. And people keep saying that stupid ass shit like this is the asterisk championship. What the fuck you guys even celebrating for? Who cares? Guess what? Guess 
fucking what? The teams you guys rooted for, they got beaten. They didn't make it. All right? So all the teams you guys are repping, they got beat, period. We beat you, motherfuckers. We beat whoever beat you, motherfuckers. All right? Period. So you know what that means? That means your team is a quarter asterisk. Yo, this was as real as it gets. It's a fucked up season. Yeah, fuck out of here. All right? It was actually tougher to win in the fucking bubble for the Lakers. It was actually tougher. We were already fucking whooping ass. We would have fucking killed them with the home fucking court advantage and all that shit, fans and everything. Yo, baseball, the three-game fucking playoff series. Yo, you know how fucking tough that shit was to play out there? You're fucking crazy. All right? Like, yo, you, you Laker fucking Dodger hater, get the fuck out of here. Anyways, I am as L.A. as it gets, okay, from Tommy's Burgers, okay, the original pantry to Philippe's, King Taco, the Rose Bowl, UCLA, USC, Crenshaw Boulevard, Melrose Avenue, Rodeo Drive, Slauson Avenue, the 101, the 10, the 110, the 405, the Crips, the Bloods, the Essays, all my Asian brothers and sisters, Santa Monica Pier, Shea J's, Venice Beach, Dupar's, motherfucking Dupar's pancakes. Don't play with me. This is my city, okay? And I already know some of you cocksuckers out there whispering, Oh, I thought you loved San Francisco. Yo, I do love the Bay. Guess what? I wasn't born and raised there. I'm locally respected in the Bay, in San Francisco, all over, okay? But I'm global now, okay? And my home base is Los Angeles. The city of angels? No, this is the city of champions, bitch. Look, nobody from LA, no real, there's not one real LA motherfucker I know. And I mean real. There's a lot of dudes who've lived here for 20 years, 30 years, whatever, boom. They switch sides. There's nobody who is a real LA cat that I know as a Clippers fan. That shit's dead, period. Or Angels fan, okay? There's some Nouveau Rams people, and I get it. They're jumping on here and there. but And because they have to. There's no football team. But me personally, not. Fuck that. But no other city in the country has ever produced an NBA and MLB championship title Ever. No other city's done it. Period. Go look it up. Okay. Guess what? We've done it twice. All right. 88, 2020. All right. Let's talk about it. Game six. Yes. We won the World Series in six games. And then guess what? The Lakers won the chip in six games. All right. It's been 32 years since the Dodgers fucking won. Right. What's Kobe's numbers? Number eight. And number 24. What does 8 and 24 equal? 32. Who's number 32? Magic motherfucking Johnson. Of the LA Lakers and also the owner of the Dodgers. Okay. All I got to say is, man, to start off this whole World Series talk is, I got to send some champagne and some flowers and maybe some cookies and cupcakes. My wife is cooked and shit. She'll bake some stuff, right? And I'm going to send it to the Tampa Bay Rays manager, Kevin Cash. Kevin Cash. Kevin Cash. Bro, thank you. You fuck you. You you pull Blake Snell in the sixth inning, okay? 
when he was fucking crushing us. Mookie, nobody could hit off this dude, okay? I already had it in my mind. I was like, you know what? Uh, you know, we, we have this fucking bullshit bullpen pitching right now. We don't have fucking Walker Buehler until game seven. Then possibly, you know, Kershaw's going to come in and maybe relieve him. So I'm thinking, all right, game seven's got to happen here. This is just not looking good for us. We couldn't get shit, okay? And then in the sixth inning, you took Snell out. And did you see his fucking face when you took him out? He was livid. He was beyond irate, all right? It was unfucking believable. I was actually in shock. I said it as soon as I seen Kevin Cash walk up to the mound. I said, yo, to my entire family, I said, we just won the World Series. No, like, what are you talking about? You're down one oh, it's a close game. But no, I was like, you don't understand. We just won the World Series. And then, yup, fucking Taylor and all that shit with fucking Mookie came in. Yo, we started picking them apart. Mookie fucking bets. Yo, no disrespect to Corey Seager because I love that motherfucker and he's been the team longer. Mookie bets to me, he was the MVP. No cap, for real. But God damn, when I saw it unfold, I was like, yo, we got this right now. All right. And then Mookie hit that home run. I was like, yo, listen, we are good. All we need to do is make sure that nobody lets fucking Kenley Jansen anywhere near the fucking bullpen. You got to make sure that's the last motherfucker that is allowed to pitch in this game and wear Gucci. He don't need to pitch the world. In fact, he don't need to fucking play for the Dodgers anymore, okay? Because he really cost us, he, he could have cost us the championship, all right? And my fucking dog, Urias, that motherfucker did his thug fizzle with them clear Oakleys on. He gave that final K and history was made. I got goosebumps still just talking about this right now. Like still Right, days later, I'm I'm still tripping, right? And then the camera, the cameras when they started focusing on the my squad celebrating when Kershaw ran out, they're like, "Yo, Kershaw got his ring!" And they fucking show all the team running to the mound, all jumping up and celebrating shit. And then the camera cuts to Snell's face, and Blake Snell's face was priceless. Okay, the look of disgust. And the overload of sodium in his diet was fucking worth a trillion dollars. All right. Look, salute to the Tampa Bay Rays, but yo, congrats to all my boys in blue. Congratulations to the Los Angeles motherfucking Dodgers, yo. I fucking cannot tell you. I haven't been a fan of any other team longer than them. Dodgers come real close, but yo, I mean, the Lakers come real close, but the Dodgers is who I've been. I went to my first fucking game in 1978. All right. And it was a fucking World Series. Because my mom's boss had tickets. All right. So salute. Congrats to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Especially to my homeboy, Jock Peterson. This is Jocktober. For those of you who don't know what the fuck that is. Okay. And Jock, you already know. I know you got me the jersey during the fucking playoffs. Yo, fuck that. I need the game-worn World Series Jock Peterson jersey, fam. Stop playing. You know, I got goodies for you. I done held you down with so much shit. In fact, I'm your motherfucking stylist, bro. And you already know what the fucking real is. It's all good. But funny thing about Jock, yo, when I heard from my agent, and you know, Jock was on the was on the podcast and we talked about it, but I just think about it. When they said he was traded to the fucking Angels, I was sick. Like, no lie. I was like, what? For real? I was really bummed out. I was like, to the Angels of all teams? But yo, thank God it worked out. Now, I know we didn't get a lot of bombs out of my boy, Jock, but yo, he was essential, no doubt, all right? 
And due to my privacy issues, you know, like I just wanna talk about this now for my family and this and that, I don't really specifically talk about what neighborhood I live in. And if you Google it, you're not gonna find it. You know what I mean? There's all kinds of setbacks and everything else because my mom has a house under my name and there's other shit that I have that I don't discuss, but whatever. I don't talk about where I live because, you know, four starting Dodger players live in my neighborhood, right? And I'm talking about, in fact, we live all within 10 houses of each other, okay? So it's always been all love between us. I'm the newest one to the neighborhood, right? Because I built my house from scratch. But yo, anyways, um, it was just letting you know, like, like we all got kids the same age and shit. And we, you know, we, we, it's a different vibe, man. And, and I really have connected with a lot of these sports teams way harder this late because of, of my age, my experience, what I'm doing now, what um, I am to the community, to Los Angeles, to my city, um, as a public figure and everything. But anyways, yo, it's time to talk about the issue that everyone was concerned about yesterday and the night of the game. I seen all first take and everything. I'm going off. Yo, this is my personal opinion because of how strong I have been about COVID and I haven't talked about it recently, but this shit's serious. Yo, Justin Turner, obviously, um, you know, Ginger, I hate saying that fucking word when it comes to a man, but a key player in our squad tested positive for coronavirus and he had tested inconclusive the day before. So when they got the day, the, the results the day of, it would, they were inconclusive, right? So they're like, fuck this, we need to make a special emergency fast COVID test for him. And they did it in the second inning, all right? I believe it was the eighth or ninth, and I forgot what inning it was, but towards the end of the game, Turner came back positive, he tested positive for COVID-19, right? They pulled him from the game. And I didn't really think about it. I was like, you know what? Nah, man, you know, and it was a close enough game. I was like, why the fuck are they going to take him out? Third base? Like, come on. And they pulled somebody else in. I was like, yo, this shit don't make no sense. They didn't tell us why. I had to find out. I forgot how the fuck we found out, whatever, if it was social media. I wasn't paying attention to social media. I was tweeting and I was watching the game. I wasn't reading anybody else's shit. Okay. And nobody really knew again, because again, there was a fucking nail biting World Series game going on. My question is this, how did he test positive? Okay, nobody knows, right? At this moment, nobody knows. I'm sure they're doing an investigation now because people are pissed, whatever. But I actually, I always say, I'm not nervous. I don't want to know what fucking someone does with their love life. I don't want to know who the fuck is dating. I don't give a fuck what celebrity is dating with a celebrity. I don't give a fuck where they vacationed either, right? But I actually would love to know how the fuck he got COVID-19 because they were all quarantined in the MLB bubble. So how is it even possible? His wife was there, right? His kids were there. Like, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, you know, did a motherfucking Postmates driver give it to him? Like, you know, did he have a fucking escort come by? Which probably didn't, you know what I'm saying? I, I, don't, I can't think. I have no idea, right? Now, the issue is this. Was he irresponsible by going back out onto the field against the MLB security, against all the rules, against the MLB, everything. They were like, no. And he fought all of the motherfuckers like, fuck this. Was he irresponsible for going out there, risking the chance of giving his teammates and his manager, you know, infecting them with COVID? Was that irresponsible? Absolutely. Okay. I love Justin. I think he's dope, man. He's a cool dude. You know, he's an asset. He's, you know, he's a staple on the team, right? He's an OG. Totally fucking selfish. And I get every single part of why he did it, okay? Now, the question lies here to me. This is what I want to know. If he did everything he was supposed to, 
if he followed all the protocol and didn't take it lightly, then I kind of side with him, you know? But most people don't live day to day like I do, like my wife does, like my family does. Anytime I leave my house and re-enter my home, I change. Anytime I re-enter my car, I use sanitizer on my hands before I touch anything on the inside. Any and every single time I touch anything, I wash my hands or I use sanitizer, okay? And I never exit my car or my home without a mask. And I mean at least a PM 2.5 filter or a KN95 mask at the very least, And yes, that means I'm sanitizing my hands around 60 plus times in a day. I will not touch my face or anything until they've been sanitized. If I shook someone's hand, gave them a pound, depending on who it is, right? If they've touched my shirt, whatever it may be, I got a little small small travel Lysol, everything, right? Any single time I'm outside, I could be at least sanitizing 60 plus times a day, all right? And it's that serious to me because of my son, all right? Now, Dave Roberts, me and him are the same age, manager. He's a cancer survivor, and he's high risk, okay? I can't tell you what was going through Justin's mind. You know, all I got to know is, man, look, this dude, that he, he plays for the Dodgers. This is his team. He highly contributed to their win, to their season, okay? He just won the ultimate championship in the field that he's in, right? After the third time, especially with the two heartbreaks, the cheating, all the other shit, going to the chip in four years, three fucking times, imagine seeing your teammates out there going crazy, celebrating all this other shit, and you can't go out there with this fucked up 2020 year, not being able to go outside, not being able to go play with your fucking, play with fans in the stadium, okay? For 98% of the fucking season, these guys didn't play with fans, All right, the shitty strict rules, the fucking election year, the fucking COVID fucking everything up, civil unrest, riots. Again, they just won the World Series. Of course, he's going to want to go out there and celebrate, okay? But at the very least, I think he should have just kept his mask on the entire time. You want to take some pictures? Yes, the pictures is forever. They're going to be archived. You know what? We don't know how the fuck you got it. Now, Again, if he is like, you know, I did all the shit I was supposed to do, boom, 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 whatever, I feel good, cool. You know what, maybe it's asymptomatic, I don't fucking know. And they say that you could still spread it that way. Maybe for one second, take your mask off for the pictures while you hold your breath. And I'm being dead serious. But I don't agree with him taking it off, even for the picture. Sitting right next to fucking Dave Roberts, hugging a bunch of people. I know Mookie Betts and other players are like, man, fuck it, man, it's all good. It's our team here and there. But it's shitty, Okay. There's a lot of employees, a lot of umpires. There's people out there that are old as fuck. Most umpires are old as shit, all right? A lot of people still think that this is a joke. It ain't. 230,000 people dead in America alone, okay? And cases are coming back hard as a motherfucker. 80,000 new infections a day in USA. It's not a fucking joke. Like I said, I feel for Justin Turner. I get why he did it, but I gotta know how he got it. Okay, how the fuck could he have got it? I just keep thinking like, what the fuck? I got a feeling he wasn't as careful as I am or my inner circle has been since February. So it sucks. Out of respect again, keep your mask on the entire time you're out there on the field. But now, you know, after all this shit now, you know, because people are pissed, 
I think they might find that motherfucker, you know, over six figures, at least six figures. You know, they find fucking Pete Carroll for not wearing his mask for whatever, two minutes here and there, whatever. But I mean, this was like the fucking end of people, you know, they're out and he's infected, knownly. Pete wasn't fucking infected, right? I think they may find him like something real heavy because this is flagrant behavior, all right? And that's that. Like, it's that, man, I got to live. I got to live my life. No, 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 dude, no. Not when you get infected and your, your ass couldn't fuck your feet. You know what I mean? Like, you couldn't even figure it out, right? Playing baseball in the pros is definitely a privilege. It's one thing that you made it because of your skill set and, you know, obviously how good you are in baseball, but that's just part of the deal when it comes to 2020. You complying with all the strict rules the MLB has to have is the rest of it. That's what the fucking important part is, all right? Who knows how this shit's going to turn out, right? Like in the next two days or three days, if he spread it to the team or to somebody else or the, the fucking opposing team, damn, you know, it's shitty all around. I hope the best for everyone and I hope nobody gets sick or got sick from this situation, but there will be hell to pay as I seen Manfred was fucking pissed off like a motherfucker and as he should be, okay? But yo, again, man, congrats again to my city. Congrats again to my beloved Dodgers. Again, happy belated chip to my Lakers. LA, man, fucking greatest city in the world. Yes, a lot of fake ass motherfuckers in the city, but they ain't from here, right? But enough real ones, right? And once again, we are the sports mecca capital in the world, period. I don't want to hear shit, okay? And with all that said, that was the perfect intro for our very special guest who was born and raised in LA. His dad came to LA at a young age. His dad became an LA legend and native to the City of Angels, okay? Skateboard world champion, OG Nike SB skateboarder himself, Paul Rodriguez Jr. is coming on right now after this little Lakey Lake break. Miles, hit me one time with some Lakey Lake real quick. And yo, we're going to cut to a commercial and we'll be right back with P-Rod, y'all. So when's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? Well, with Quip's new smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. The best part of this is that Quip Smart Brush is for adults and kids. Now with the Quip app, you can connect your phone via Bluetooth, all right? You track when and how well you brush, get tips and coaching to improve your habits, earn points for daily brushing, and bonus points for completing challenges. Redeem for awards like free products, gift cards, and discounts from Quip and partners. You've heard us talk about Quip a million times, but this is something brand new that rewards you and your mouth. Already have Quip? All right, cool. Upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. Plus, you can get a brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from $5 and shipping is free. 
Join the over 5 million mouths who use Quip and save hundreds compared to your other Bluetooth brushes when you get a Quip smart brush for just $45. Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash baller right now to get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash baller. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash baller. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. So, yo, we got a special guest right now on the show. Uh, you know what? Actually, this, he's like legitimately a friend of mine. It's the Super LA where, you know, in 10 years, I've seen the guy once. And like, it's just weird. We're, <laughs> we're like, you know, Super LA, but, you know, professional skater, uh, entrepreneur, uh, my boy P-Rod, Paul Rodriguez. What's good, bro? What's good, Ben? How we doing? Man, I'm good. You know, um, what's crazy is one of the last times I've seen you, well, the time before the last, you were just having your first kid. Yeah. It was like um, like 11 years ago. So how old is your kid now? She's 11. She's, 11, She's about right? to be 12 in December. Yeah, yeah. So it was at the um, at District 8 in Long Beach. It was the TK signing. Yeah. I, yeah. Was, on, I was on tour with TK at that time. And we're going to get in that in a little bit because I'm really curious about where the hell, Terry, if you heard anything. But, um, you know, it was a trip because uh, I envied you. It wasn't about money or nothing. It was the fact that I was really ready at that point to have a kid, you know, and... um. I was like probably, well, I was 36 or whatever it was. I felt like right around 33 or 34, I was like, yo, you know what? I mean, you know, if timing's right, boom. And, you know, I had my kid two, three years after that. And I have three now. How many kids you got? I just got one. Oh, shit. I didn't know that, bro. Fuck, yeah, okay. it's my only one. My <laughs> only one. She's about to be 12. Yeah, man. So, you know, it was a trip because I was like, okay, damn. And, and how old are you now, Paul? I'm 35. Okay, so you, you had a kid young. Yeah, I was about she. I was she was born two weeks before my twenty fourth birthday. Yeah, I remember we were chopping it up, and I was like, "Yo, this guy is just the fucking nicest dude in the world." And I was like, just tripping out, and like, you know, I was in the sneaker game for a long time, and that's how actually a lot of people don't know this. They think I made my money from jewelry or from music. I actually became a millionaire from selling sneakers, right? So really, yeah, and that, that's that's crazy. And the crazy part was the thing that did it. I helped launch the SB Dunk. You know what I mean? So Really? Yeah, dog. So that's what did it. But I did it in the, in a way that Nike hated. So I didn't wear Nikes for nine years. I, my, my shoe collaboration stopped. Like we got into a real bad, it was ugly. And um, I didn't know that. What happened was uh, on the first series SBs in 2002, I basically bought 40% of the entire stock in the country of all SB dunks. And I just held them and I shipped most of them to Japan and it fucking, you know, it fucking pissed people off, right? Like, I would go into Val Surf, I go to Rip City, I go wow. everywhere. Yeah, I went from Oregon down to Mexico, like just down the coast. And, you know, the West Coast got way more of them. And uh, all the uh, sneaker community, uh, you know, they're basically like, yo, this fucking guy, man, this fucking guy. And the crazy <laughs> part was the um, the history of sneakers, a lot of people don't realize, like if you look at street legends, like Nottis, right? Nottis, Santa Monica Airlines, this dude was rocking Jordans. Jordan ones was like the cool shoe, you know, in the in the mid late eighties. That and, was like the one of the first skate shoes. Yeah, that was like the best, right? So mm -hmm. when they said they were doing a skate shoe, there was this dude I was working with, Jesse Leva, and um, uh -huh. you know, he, him and obviously Sandy. Um, 
they had a couple like you know dunks that were out they weren't necessarily the sb yet you know what i mean there was like the maroon pair and then there was like the alphanumeric ones and i was like all right cool so i got into that and it's just crazy because i thought about looking over questions i'm like yo p-rod this motherfucker's been so anytime i think of sb or i think of sb shoes i think of a few people right the first thing that pops up is danny supa because i had you know the shoe and even though costin's my boy i don't think about costin at all i think of you because there was a time when you did, I forgot, your your shoe, your signature shoe, and you did the Mexican blanket. Yeah. And that fucked me up so bad, bro. <laughs> I was like, Thanks, yo, man. it just reminded me of those times when you're waiting at the border, like going into Tijuana, and you know, all the people are like mm-hmm. trying to sell you the blankets or chicklets yeah, and all that yeah, shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I grew up with a Mexican nanny when I was a little kid. So my first language was Spanish before English or Korean. No way. Yeah, dog. It's crazy. So, and you know, I grew up in Koreatown, born and raised. And Koreatown was pretty much predominantly, you know, a Latino hood. It was, you know, like five. It was very Hispanic, you know. And um, wow. when uh, kids would come to school, they didn't know I was bilingual. So, like, you know, dudes would come straight into school at second grade. I was a translator. They'd be like, yo, who the fuck is Chino? Who the fuck is this guy? You know what I mean? Like, they're thinking, like, uh-huh. trip out. And then um, I kind of lost all my Spanish. But I've always been, you know, attached to the Latino community and everything. So... All that intro, I just wanted to break down to you so you, because me and you have always just really kept it light. Right. You know what I'm saying? And now there's so many things I wanted to ask you before I had a podcast. So now I'm like, yo, so we could just like machine gun these out, bro. Like, yeah. Homie, what the fuck? <laughs> what kind of relationship have you had with your father? Like, because, uh, you know, I never thought that there was a Paul Rodriguez. Like, when I heard the name, I was like, oh, it couldn't be Paul Rodriguez. Not the, not the <laughs> actor, dog, because. <laughs> Listen, what year were you born? Yeah. 84, December 31st, 1984. Okay, 84. Shit, mm-hmm. there was this movie that your dad was in, and it was- uh, Born in East LA, huh? No, dog, before that, DC uh, Cab. Yep. And it might have been like 82 or 83, so you weren't even born yet. It was just like, but born in East LA, of course, dog, I was a huge Cheech and Chong fan. I smoked weed at a young age, you know, <laughs> boom. But there was also a movie that your dad did, and it was the first time I seen him as a bad guy. And it was called Price of Glory. I fucking love that movie mm. with Jimmy Smits. Mm-hmm. And yep. even when I think of all that, I just can't like, bro, never in a million years do I look at your dad and look at his career and do I think there was a pro skater in the family. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just crazy. So I was just curious. I mean, did, was your dad like super present when you were growing up? Was he like, you know, was he, I'm just curious. Yeah. So I'll start by saying like, I love my dad. He's a, he's a, he's got a, a sweet soul. Um, and he was pretty young when he had me. My Both my parents were really young when they had me. So his career was just taking off when I was being born. So, you know, he was doing his thing. I grew up pre- predominantly with my mom. And I would see my dad, you know, a weekend here, a weekend there. Every, you know, at least once a month I'd go hang out and see him. So it's I wouldn't say he wasn't present. He did the best he knew how to do, especially as I grew older. I understood how he grew up and um, he, he did, he did the best he could coming. He, you know, he was born in Mexico, came immigrated when he was a baby, grew up in Compton and somehow some way found a talent for comedy made in the entertainment world. And all these things started coming at him and he had no, you know, there's no manual on how to conduct your life when 
things are going good. You come from nothing, you start making money. So, you know, he was living his life. For sure. Um, and so, you know, I would say he was in my life, but I will say I, I'm not as close as I would like to be with him. Oh, damn. Even to this day? To this day, yeah, to this day. I mean, we talk. We talk, but you know, now I'm, I'm an adult. I'm a grown man. Like I'm, he's who he is. He's a man set in his ways. I'm a grown man. I've lived my life. And so to this day, like we talk and everything, but yeah, we, we didn't have that like relationship where it was like, Hey son, here's how it goes. And this right, and right. that, but I feel you. I've learned a lot from him though, even from afar. Right. And look, dog again, man, bro. I wasn't trying to make this awkward anything, just to make make you feel better. I've been very, very, very seriously, like I've never been in depth about my life more so than in this podcast in the last 13 months. My dad was the biggest piece of shit motherfucker in the world. He did everything he could to, I do say that. You know, he came from Korea. This dude walked like, I know it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but he walked like 200 miles, you know what I mean? Like to, uh -huh. in Korea, like during the war and all that shit and everything. Right. And, he had to do what he could. And like my dad whooped the fuck out of me. So it's like, I get it, bro. You ain't got to tell me. And at the same time, like I hate using this term. And I think the term is thrown around today way too loosely. The term celebrity is thrown around way too loosely and it's not given. But I will say this. I do consider you a celebrity, whatever the fuck it may be. And at the same time, a lot of people consider me a celebrity and it is what it is. Right. So mm -hmm. with that said, you know, do you think having a celebrity parrot, do you think it kind of prepared you into like fame and stuff definitely i would say i learned so much from my dad because on the times he would come and pick me up you know i wouldn't see him all the time so every time he would pick me up he'd be like hey you want to go to disneyland or you want to go to the mall or you, it, would, it was always something you know something l fun that he knew like would would be i'd be excited about so every time we would go somewhere in public people would stop him and I learned from him. He was always so gracious. And so like anybody who asked for a photo, he always said yes. Autographs, yes. If people wanted to – like every time we would go to a restaurant, all the cooks, all the Mexican guys in the back, the cooks would come out. They would stand around our table, talk to them, and he would just sit there and talk to them the whole time during the meal. And I remember as a kid feeling like, what the fuck is going on? Like what is this about? But as I grew older – you know, I, I had my own life experience and then, you know, thankfully I started making headway in my own career and people started recognizing me. I understood what he was going through and I always learned to appreciate the people who appreciate you because they're the people who give you your career. So Real talk. I learned so much from him, how he treated and how he behaved with people who would come up to him uh, you know, fans basically. 100%. So, yeah. So he was always really amazing and gracious with his fans. And I definitely picked that up for him as like, you know, in my, like, you know, in his heyday, it, it, what he went through in his thing was still way bigger than anything I've gone through. I've, I get a nice little blend. I get a nice little, like, right. Occasionally a skater, somebody will recognize me here and there, you know, if I'm a, the mall or whatever, something random. But like he was in his heyday, very recognizable. People oh, recognized sure, him everywhere we went. So like it taught me a lot of like, wow, you know, like, yeah, like subconsciously I was downloading information like, yeah, man, like these people, they 
they give you the life, the privileged life that you live. Like you got to be gracious and grateful and appreciative of them. So he was always really good with anybody who came up to him. You know, it's really important that you say that. And I've witnessed it because pretty much almost all my adult life, I've been around celebrities, not just being in LA, but being in the music business, then being in, you know, um, I'm a fucking celebrity jeweler, right? But I'm saying, you know, being in that, my wife, I think like the turn up, like I've had several different glow ups, right? Yeah. And the more recent glow up, even though my wife knows it's annoying and it takes away from the kids, it takes away from me, you know, just being a husband and stuff. She's like, you know what? You can't be a dick. You know, you got to be cool to your fans. You got to be this. Dude, you can't. No, I know. And, and, you know, it's really important to you take your time and certain shit. And sometimes it could be very, they could be invasive. But that's really, I have to say this to the audience, the people listening. I've never met anybody in fucking skateboarding nicer than fucking Paul. Paul is like the nicest guy in the world. Thanks, man. So, um, at what age did you uh, fall in love with skateboarding? I was just shy of my 12th birthday. I was, in, I was going to junior high school. I grew up in the valley here in Northridge, still live in the valley. I was going to Holmes Junior High School, and uh, I would walk to school because it was close to my house. And I saw these kids every morning skating in the parking lot. And then every day after school when I was walking home, they'd be skating again. And I was just like, how do they do that? Like they, they can jump and the board sticks to their feet and it flips. I was like, it's like, you know, you watch a magician. You're like, how did he do the magic trick? I need to know how that's done. Like that was the fascination I had. I was just like, how do you do that? I had to know. So eventually like, I've always been a pretty shy person, especially when I was younger, I was really shy. So eventually I, I got a little bit of courage and I asked one of the guys like, Hey, like, can I try riding on your skateboard? And he was nice. And he's still my friend to this day. Shout out to Dan Abadi. Um, he, you know, he let me ride his skateboard and I got to ask him like, how do you do that? And they gave me some pointers. And from the, I was hooked. It was just, I was hooked. It was just kids at school. I was in seventh grade, Holmes junior high school, and they were just skating. And I, I it's something about it just absorbed all my attention. I became obsessed. Well, bro, it's crazy you say that because, I was a big BMX rider, right? I remember riding dirt bikes, everything. I'm I'm in the hood, bro. So, you know, it's not like... And um, I was at Venice Beach. I was also a break dancer, so I did a lot of crazy things, right? And I'm at mm-hmm. Venice Beach. You know, I, I don't know if you remember, you know, people used to dance and shit and whatever. I mean, they've been doing it for 30, 40 years there, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I'm there one day, dog, and I just got a skateboard. I got my first skateboard actually in the Bay Area, but I came back to LA because my brother was going to school out there. Get my skateboard. I remember, I'll never forget, it was a Santa Cruz skateboard. And um, you know these are the big boards. They weren't like you know how they are now. And uh, the, the small boards were called freestyle boards back then. That's what they were. You know the I'll never forget. There was this guy, uh, Per Willander or some shit. I forgot his name. Yeah, Anyways. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm at Venice Beach, and what you just said is exactly how I saw a dude do a ho ho for the first time, and I lost my fucking mind. I, I knew right then and there. I was like, boom, and I went deep. I was like, bro, I'm talking. You know, I grew up in Koreatown, so Krishna Soy, you know, he was pro. He, he lived in my neighborhood for a minute. So I was like, he'd skate with us a little bit here and there. I'd be blown away. It was like he was like Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson to me. You know, it was crazy. Um, what age did you go pro? Uh, I was 17. Damn, 17. 17. Yeah, I was 17, September 2002. So, like, when did you know you were really good? Uh, that's a hard one to say, like, <laughs> I knew that I had, I was really obsessed with it very young. And I was like, 
No, I'm talking I was about, when did you know you were the shit, dog? You were like, okay, I'm landing tricks, dog. I'm, 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 uh, maybe like 1999, I got my first like real sponsored DNA skateboards. And I, it used to be a thing where like you would send your little video of your footage and like they might put you on flow. A company might put you on flow. And for those who don't know, that just means like they hook you up with some product, you skate, and it's all good. But I was no, I was nothing. I was just a kid skating. I gave my video and they put me directly on their amateur team, which means I got a part in their video. They gave me an ad in a magazine. So I never went to flow. I just went from regular kid to straight amateur. And to me, that was like, oh, my God, like. Uh, my my dream at that point, my my stepping stone goal was to become Flo. And they were just like, no, we want you on the team. We want you to video part, ad. To me, I was like, okay, I think we're making headway here. I was like, something's happening here. I, th- I like this. And uh, then I just – that made me so much more hungry. And I just kept pushing, kept pushing myself. Is there anything else that you're really good at that most people don't know? Like is another talent you got? I'm just randomly curious. Um, I wouldn't say really good, but I I can play guitar. Um, I could play guitar, but I could play. I I'm a left hander naturally, but it felt comfortable for me to play right handed. And then once I really realized my favorite guitar player ever was Jimi Hendrix, and yeah, he played left handed, and I was like, bro, I'm a lefty. I'm a natural lefty. My hero is left handed. Yeah. I need to learn how to play left handed. So I made myself switch over my guitar strings and learn how to play left-handed. So now I could play equally as good or bad, however you want to look at it, right and left-handed. What type of music do you play? Um, At this point, I play basically just a bunch of Nirvana songs. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I was going to ask you actually right before we got into this? Like when you were, so we were skating, that was like, so 99, who did, did you look up to any pros? Like were there any pros that you looked like? Hell Yeah. Okay. My first ever favorite pro was Kin Lu Donger. He he was this dude. He had long ass ponytail. I'm not sure what his um, nationality is, but he's an Asian guy. And because I didn't know en- enough about skateboarding, I he, he was the only he could ollie so high. He would ollie over everything and grind the tallest ledges. And I didn't understand flips and like what they were doing with the you know switch stance regular stance but i did understand like damn this guy can jump high I've so never i heard was of like before what's his name yeah donger donger d uh ken lu k-i-e-n-l-i-e-u ken lu and he was pro he, he was pro he used to ride for h street and he rode for um i want to say maple i could be wrong Donger, he's still around to this day. I recently just found him on Instagram. I got so hyped. I followed him. I was psyched. I was so hyped, man. Donger, they called Dude. him. He had like double ponytails, braids long, all the way down to his ass. I got to check this dude out because when I was growing up, there was an Asian dude besides Asoy. There's this guy named Lester Kasai. I was like, uh-huh. yep. I was yep. like yep. fucking super hyped on that dude because he was Asian, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's that crazy. I didn't know that, that Asian dude that, that gave you inspiration. Yeah, he so, was my first favorite skater. Real quick, dog. What would you say one of the highlights of your career so far, been skateboarding wise? Man, out of everything, I thank God. Um, I would say for me, it was about seven, eight years ago. Transworld Magazine, they did this list of the thirty most influential skateboarders in the past thirty years. It was their thirty-year anniversary, and I made the list. I was number thirty, 
and I made the list of being one of the 30 most influential skateboarders in the past 30 years. Oh, you should but have been in the first fucking top 15 at least, bro. Uh, Damn. I appreciate that. But what the reason I was so grateful for that was because all the other 29 guys on the list, every single one of them, were already professional skateboarders by the time I started skating. So like when I started skating, every single one of them were already established, well-known pros. And I was able to, you know, start skating, get a career and make my way onto that list. Damn. That's okay. So that, that's good then. So it was like mostly OGs and you were kind of like, yeah, like they younger. They, yeah. They squeezed me in on that list. And I was just like, I can't like, I, that, I literally like, I had some tears. Some, I mean, my eyes were watering. I was like, that, no, was, dope, that was a big deal for me because like my heroes were on that list. I'm like, damn, like I'm not, I, at the time I was the only dude on that list, also still in my twenties. So it was heavy for me. Like, wow. Like, no, salute, dog. That's dope. Appreciate it. Um, so being a Nike athlete, right? Being signed to Nike, being actually being a real Nike athlete. You know, uh, dog. People didn't really take skateboarding serious for a long time, homie. You know what I mean, like. Dude. Like, yeah. they didn't take rap music serious, you know, and look where it is, look where skating is, right? Oh, I see so many parallels. It's crazy. So being a Nike athlete, what other sport athletes have you gotten to kick it with? Like, any crazy stories with, like, LeBron or somebody or? Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, LeBron, he was fucking cool as shit, man. He's actually, he was born the day before me. We, we're, we're one day apart on this earth. Um, and I met him in China for the first time. Nike was doing this thing called the uh, Festival of Sports, and they would fly all their different athletes out in to China and like put on these big demos, skate like they would make big skate demos, and they would have basketball players, football, every category they have. They flew all their athletes out there, and for some reason that year they put us with. Uh, the basketball players, like the skaters, got to chill with the basketball players in the green room. So LeBron was on the heat that year. Him and Chris Bosh came out. And this was the year Kyrie was going from uh, – He was. It was, the, it was the summer he was about to go into the NBA. So I got to meet Kyrie. And um, that, that night of the demos and stuff, they took us out to this club. For whatever reason, the skaters, we got stuck with the basketball players – in a good in a good way, right? And, and we went to this club, dope ass club, VIP section. They gave us the the full treatment because we were with the basketball players, right? So they gave us all the dope stuff. I'm sitting there, I'm chilling with Kyrie. We're in the VIP section. I'm passing a bottle of Belvedere back to Kyrie. He's taking a swig. He passes back to me. I'm taking a swig. Like this shit was so dope. I'm smoking a a cigar. Amar, Amari Stoudemire is passing his cigar back to me. I'm taking puffs of his cigar it was to me it was so surreal to me i'm like how the fuck is this happening right now uh, it, it was it was a really it was a really cool time man we had a, we had a great time and, you know, uh, i love it you know i noticed too when you meet somebody who's doing things like talented musician artist uh athlete whatever when you kick it with them in a different country for some reason yeah. it hit different like it really does oh, it, yeah. it, especially in China because I've been in China so much I've been all over the world you know you, it shit hits different for real so absolutely you got your own signature shoe the P-Rod you know and I was just curious like with the SB hype and everything especially I mean it, it jumped off immediately and you know you see how it's coming back right now like heavier than ever did you ever skate in dunks or did you go straight to your signature shoe 
No, I did. My first year on Nike, I was strictly dunks. Um, you know, so I, before I was with Nike, I was with another skate company, Shoes. So I wasn't skate Nikes at that time. But once I got signed and they we were in the design process, uh, I was skating dunks the whole time until my shoe finally came out. So I was my favorite was, I can't even remember what the unofficial name of it was, but it was like the... Uh, like they were like the ice, the iceberg dunks or whatnot. What I, year I, got, was it? I recently got a pair. It was 2004. They were like the uh, like the Tiffany, like Tiffany blue dunks. Uh, was it a high top or low top? It was high top. Yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about though. I, I forgot what those shits are called too because 04 is when I when I said fuck Nike and I was like I was done. Right. Listen, so in 04 was Gino Inucci and, and and Supa and Reese Forbes and all of them. They were still on the team. Yeah, they were they were the original. They were on the team already for a couple of years by that point. Um they were OGs and I remember when I first got announced to Nike, I did my first trip with Nike. They sent me to um to Texas uh for the Make a Wish Foundation demo and that that trip uh Supa and Todd Jordan, they took me under their wing like brothers. They said, "Hey, come hang out with us. Come out with us." And it's dope, me- you know, Richard Mulder's first shoe was the white and blue. He did, he did the Dodger blue because he's from yes. LA. So let me ask you a question, bro. You're talking about traveling and shit, right? And everything. And obviously we're in COVID. So I get jealous because last year I was on a hundred and fucking 22 flights this year. Wow. It's like, you already know. Yeah, dog. It was the most, I've never traveled that much in my life. Like I was like rock star shit. Where are your favorite places to travel to? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, China for sure. Um, what, what, what area China. in particular? Uh, Shanghai. Oh, Shanghai. Shenzhen. I love Shanghai. Yeah, Shenzhen's really great for skateboarding. Those are the two main places I've been to. Um, and then uh, Barcelona's amazing. Love Barcelona. I love uh, London. Um, where else do I really love? Australia's great. Um, those are my those are my top. Tokyo really fucking embraces skateboarding too. Pretty heavy, right? Hell yeah, hell yeah. I haven't been to Tokyo since two thousand four. Actually. My first international trip with Nike was to Tokyo, and I haven't been back since. Holy shit. I go every year, bro. Like, this year, I had I had two trips, and I had a collaboration with Murakami. Dude, they fucking, you know, COVID, so we can't even go there at all. It's been, it's like killing me, because I miss Tokyo, because it's my, you know, I go to Tokyo. Dog, I'm from Korea, and I fuck, and, and there's like beef between, there's animosity between Korean really? and, you know, Japan. Yeah. Know there's always been like a weird funk between them, but I've always had love. It's no big deal, but I miss Tokyo. It's crazy, so... Yeah, Australia, I've only been to once, but I had a great time there. And like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I figured because they surf out there so much. Sure, skateboarding's dope. So um, where's the first place you want to go to once the pandemic is like over? Like for real oh, over? Good question. Uh, I would say probably Barcelona. Barcelona and London. Nice. Nice, man. I love it. I love it there. Barcelona's got some of the best skateboarding in the world, some of the best food, some of the prettiest ladies. Um, and London is just like, just, I don't know. They got the dope steez over there. I, no, I love it. Bro, my wife lived in London. My firstborn son's name is London. So like I was named after Big Ben, the, you know, so like yeah. you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of references towards that. Trust me. I love London, bro. I love the UK. Yes, sir. Have you been quarantining? Like, you know, what have you been doing during the pandemic? Um, I was quarantined probably from March to like early June. And then after that, once it, Things kind of started opening up again. I go out and skate. Like th- that's the beautiful thing about being a street skater is like all the places that you would normally want to skate, 
are all shut down, like schools, right? Every, all the schools are shut down, everything. So like we'll go out and we'll skate the schoolyards of LA and it's probably the like safest place to be during the quarantine yeah, because shit. nobody's yeah. there. Like so so for us, it's like the whole city's a playground. So I'm just all over LA skating. Um, but I, you know, I'm still wearing my mask and, you know, using my, you know, hand sanitizer and all that, but good, to a man. certain degree, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not just locked down at home anymore all day. Like I, I got to get out and skate. No, for sure. So dude, I didn't even know this, bro. Even I follow you, you know what I mean? On social, I just didn't like, I, I, you know, people just, you don't pay attention to certain things and you just kind of assume, I didn't know you were like kind of retired and then, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so you're, so, okay. What what was like break it down? You're about to get back in the game. I mean, just yeah. So about 2000, end of 2016, after the last, you know, that that summer, that skate competition summer, I had me a good little summer. I got me a little win in a street league, and I decided after that, going into 2017, I was like, you know what? I've been so focused on contests for like 10 years. I want to get back to street skating. I just want to like go out and street skate i want to film stuff and i want to do my thing and that was going great i was having a great time but then 2018 summer 2018 i tore my uh right knee acl meniscus mcl real rough knee injury tore that shit up and uh at the time i thought it was like it was over it's like the worst thing ever but as i was going through the healing process through surgery through rehab so like so many like this weird kind of feeling of like gratitude and like appreciation and like just started and humbleness started like coming over me like you know it just I never you know I thought I was grateful for everything I had which I think I did have a level of it but when it gets taken from you it's a different it hits different it's just like yeah it's just taken it's gone like you realize like like any day the thing you love to do the most is just could be gone and um it just made me really appreciate skateboarding again i attacked my rehab like a beast i was going crazy working out every single day and finally when the doctor gave me the okay to skate in 20 late late 2019 it it just it was just this whole level of like okay i'm not going to take anything for granted i'm going to go after it with everything i got and it was still up and down like it still hurt a lot like didn't feel good and then finally in like May during the quarantine, my knee just started feeling great. I was skating. I was working out. I was like, man, this feels amazing. I think I want to try to go back to like maybe I can do another competition, see what I got. So like my goal now is like to come – I retired from competition, I guess I would right, say. Right, right, right. Okay. So now I'm like let me just for my own sake because I got nothing to lose at this point, let me just let me just try my hand at – competition when the competitions come back whenever covid you know allows let me just go back to the competition you know circuit and just see what's there and you know i i believe i have plenty of gas left in the tank and i have a lot of uh inspiration and motivation and um i just want to yeah i want to get i want i want to give it a go when you say you got nothing to lose bro you know that's when motherfuckers should be scared when you say something like that (laughs) no i'm being real you know like like yeah. You know, um, I took it for granted. I played I played football in college. I got a scholarship playing football. I played basketball in college. And then I got into drugs. And, you know, you, um, again, you know, delusion hits in, right? And you think that you're still like, 
I remember being high as fuck one time. I'm in San Francisco. And my cousin's like, yo, let's, let's, you know, let's go play some basketball. And I'm like lit, dog. I'm on acid. I'm everything. And I was like, yo, dog, that rim looked crazy low, bro. I'm about to go do some pull-ups on that bitch. And I jumped up and I felt like I jumped higher than ever. And he was like, bro, you were so far from touching the rim. I can't even tell you. Like, And, you know, like I was like, oh, shit. And then, um, you know, just old age, whatever else, I don't feel as crisp. So with that being said, truthfully, 35 years old right now, do you feel like you're 100 right now? Not 100, like 22 years old. But I'm saying, are you feel like your your knee is like fully written, like good, good? I would say I'm probably about 97. Damn, that's legit. About 97. I mean, I, but the cool part about it is, is like I'm training so much now. Like I go, go to the Mamba Academy, rest in peace, Kobe. Oh, I go man. there multiple times a week i'm working out i'm training and i'm skating every day everything's feeling good my tricks are coming back i feel inspired um and to me i guess like whether i'm 100 or not is is not even the important part just the joy i get no for sure i was just saying like the fire no i i know i I feel i think i will be at 100 very soon um but whatever the beautiful part about it mentally is like it just it's just the joy i'm getting from being like back in the inspired space you know because like before i got hurt i was kind of like going through the motions like i was skating every day i was enjoying myself but i wasn't like challenging myself i wasn't like saying like i wasn't like when i was maybe five years before that like i was like i had a chip on my shoulder i was like i want to be great i want to push my i want to i want to make my mark in the game and I, I kind of like lost that. I lost it. it. It is what it is. I lost it. Yeah. And then I got the injury. I had so much time sitting on my ass. And I was just like, dude, what happened to you? Who the fuck are you, man? Like, what's going <laughs> on? Yeah. I was just, what is happening? Like, who are you? You're just a lazy at like the, the 15 year old version of yourself would be so disappointed in you right now. What is going on? And so, like, for me, like, I just, I prayed a lot. I believe in God so much. And I, I prayed the whole time when I was, you know, sitting on my ass in bed after surgery. And I was just like, man, like, please, let me just come back. Like, I, I appreciate it. I get it. I, I learned my lesson. Like, I, I just, I don't want to go out like that. I want to go out on my own terms. Like, right, you know, right. And on my own, too, and, and just doing my best and putting it all out there. That's That's all I want. I don't want some injury just to say that's it you're done like uh, i want to just so if i'm healthy and i can do it i'm gonna go out there i'm gonna give it all i got and the beautiful part is is like i got nothing to lose and should something happen again whatever it, it, right. it is what it is you know like but hold on wait so you still sponsored by nike you still have your sponsors and stuff and everything yeah yeah, yeah. i'm still locked in with nike i'm uh, you know i got my brand primitive everything's right. from beautiful so i'm gonna get into primitive in a second i just want yeah. to I do remember they're saying that they're going to allow the skateboarding is going to be in the Olympics. I think it was supposed to be last year, this year, whatever the fuck it was. When did that start or has it not started yet? No. So the Olympics talk has been going on for like two, three years now. And, you know, in skateboarding, there's always like the divide, right? You got, you got the cool guys who are like, fuck that shit. Nobody gives a fuck about Olympics. And then you got the other people going to the Olympics. And I was kind of always in the middle. Like, if it's it a big deal, bro doesn't yeah it's huge right but i was just like looking at it realistically like beforehand before my injury i was like well they're talking about olympics 2020 i want to be 35 i don't know if i'll be you know competing then i i didn't know anything but then i got hurt 
And then I was definitely like, well, I'm definitely not making the Olympics because <laughs> it's supposed to be this summer. I'm like, I'm hurt, Shit. whatever. I might as well just not put it in my mind. But then, you know, COVID hits, right? And I'm, I'm as COVID hits, I'm getting better. I'm, I'm healing. I'm, I'm skating again. I'm getting healthy. And then all of a sudden, the Olympics are pushed to the summer of 2021. And I was skating with um, uh, my really good friend, Manny Santiago, about two months ago. And he was like, so what's up, dude? You, you're skating good. You're going you gonna to go to the Olympics? I was like, mm, no. And he was, <laughs> he was like, why not? I was like, uh. And I realized I didn't have, really have an answer for him. I was like, uh, I, I don't know. And that night I came home and I was like thinking about it and I couldn't sleep. I was tossing and turning. I was like, yeah, why the fuck wouldn't I go to the Olympics? Like <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm healthy now, I'm getting better. I'm skating good. And for the first time, in the, as far as I know, the first time the history of the Olympics ever got pushed to another year, never been rescheduled before. That's a sign. Yeah. Like in my mind, I was like, yeah, that's a sign. Like why wouldn't you at least try? Like fuck yeah. it. Try it. Fuck if you yeah. don't, you don't. If you do, you do. Like, but don't fucking let that year pass by and two years from now you'll be kicking yourself in the ass. Like, well, I never you regret it, bro. You, you, love dog. you yeah. could never live like life without regret with rest dog. It's like yeah. so for what it's worth, yeah. Um that's what's inspiring me right now. I want to go back to competition season and who knows? Maybe I can qualify. Maybe I can get there. And that would be exciting. I don't think that'd be fucking lit, bro. You know, you're talking about street skating so much, right? And there's different styles, there's different this, that, and the third. And like over the last 10 years, you know, I've been friends with skaters and I'm still friends with like Nigel and a bunch of other people. And yeah, yeah. I don't really pay attention to shit, you know, like it just, you know, but I mean, I skated, it's just been, you know, decades ago, right? So, you know, like a year ago, I bought a board again. I got it all hooked up and everything. There's a little place, um, damn, do I feel really fucking bad, man. It's Little Tokyo. Little skate shop in Tokyo. I feel the fuck it's called, man. I feel so goddamn oh, bad. Oh, and what's going on? Now I feel bad because I know exactly what's. Fuck. What I met the um. Anyways, going on. So that you know, they put the board together with me. You know, they gave me the trucks, everything. I said, hey man, um, I met these guys in San Francisco. So I have an apartment in San Francisco for the last three years, right? I go all the time. I, you know, I went to college there. I had a lot of love for the city. You know, legends like Tommy Guerrero. When I was growing up, that was like he was my idol. You know, in skateboarding, and um, so I met these guys just by chance, randomly you know, um, GX 1000. Yes. And I'm like, yo, these dudes are fucking like, they make me miss going to San Francisco when I'm, you know, gone. And, and, um, so I tell the owner of the skate shop and he's like, Hey man, I'm gonna tell you something real quick. He's like, don't you know Eric Costin? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you know, these other guys, he goes, why don't you talk to them first? And they'll let you know why that's not a good idea that you go skate with these dudes. Cause you know, um, I'm going to be honest with you. There's pros. He said, very good pros that can't do what they do especially the cameraman. He's like, he's like, you have to understand, those going down those hills, he goes, it's a different level of, and I was like, really? So, you know, I, I connect with fucking GX1000. I'm like, yo, boom. He's like, yo, we'll go light with you. No, boom. I talked to Costin and Costin gives me the fucking, his Kobe collab. Yeah. And he's like, what's up with you? And I was like, uh, you know, I'm about to go fucking hang out with these fucking, uh, you know, GX1000 guys. And he's like, oh, bro, you don't want to go do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, yo, like, that's the last that's like the last fucking thing. I was like, oh, Ryan seems cool. He goes, bro, look, man, they're cool dudes. I'm just telling you, they're on a whole different level of like what they do. And then homeboy died. They're dude, you know what I mean? And in fact, he died the day I was in San Francisco. It was crazy. 
So I was just curious what you thought about like like that type of street skating. Have you, would you ever like go skate with them dudes like downhills and shit or no? Absolutely not. <laughs> One million percent respect for them. Not on my best day. Never. Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> All right, I just had to ask because, you know, everyone said it was a really bad idea and then I just didn't. No. Um, and, you know, it's terrible that, that homie died and, um, you know, but, you know, I, at least he was doing something he loved. You know, that's, that's the, the light. Nah, for sure. I mean, for real, he went out going all out, you know, doing what he loved. I mean, respect. So P-Rod, check this out, dog. This is an actual, actually, the funny thing is my show is a business podcast. I'm in the entrepreneurship category. It's a business show. You know, I talk about free game. I talk about, you know, not fucking up your money here and there. For the most part, I do know you're not the type of guy to buy a Lamborghini. You don't even know, you know, buy a I would love to. I want to. Trust me, I do. I want to. I have huge, lavish life uh, aspirations. But you've been very smart with your money. You know, you've been. I try to be. You're being too humble right now, Paul. I'm I'm not to fuck. I wish I was right next to you so I could punch you, man. Um, (laughs) So real quick, before we get into this other thing, um, you've had Primitive for how long now? Primitive is about 11 years old. Dude, man. And it's crazy because Primitive had an SB account. Or they still do, right? I'm sure. No, no. we, we We started as a shop. But then we closed about five years ago and just became strictly clothing boards of our own. Like we're, we're not a shop no more. Oh, I didn't know that, bro. My bad. I'm sorry, yeah. man. No, all good. So, but the crazy thing was the brand, um, like I know girls who've shot for primitive, like no hot chicks, you know what I'm saying? Like there's always been cool girls who've, who've done it. So is that like, so, I mean, but you still own primitive, the brand or no? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. So it's still going, yeah. it's still doing its thing. Um, Everything's going strong. Please tell me about this tequila brand that you just started. Yes, Commissario Tequila. I recently uh, became an investor, Commissario Tequila. Thank God for COVID. They hit me up originally uh, through DMs about like wanting to like just I guess be an influencer and you know do some paid posts or whatnot. And I talked to them. I was like, eh, I don't know. And then they were like, Whoa, our people <laughs> want to meet. Came down. I went to their their headquarters. I met them, and next thing you know, uh, we we negotiated a deal thanks to my Brian, uh, my agent Brian, and uh, next thing you know, I'm now part owner of a tequila brand. So I'm very excited, very grateful uh, for that. But tequila commissario, high class tequila. We got the blanco, we got the anejo, we got the agave, um, and we're uh, we're coming strong. We got some big announcements uh, coming soon of uh, some other uh, brand ambassadors coming on board. All right, you ready for this? Yes, sir. All right, so check it out. I used to be bad with alcohol, right? I was, you know, uh-huh. during back in the old school days. I mean, I don't even think I'd say I cut maybe drinking maybe eighty five legit percent out of my life, maybe ninety percent. Like I just really didn't drink very much. Um, you know, I'm a dad of three kids, married. My wife loves to drink, loves drink wine, and everything. For the last three years, there's only one thing I drink. And that's tequila, baby. That's it. That's all I drink. Hey, I love it. I love well, tequila. We send you a ton of tequila. I love tequila, bro. I don't know what the fuck it is. I love the way it makes me feel. I love everything about tequila. I might go to Cabo so goddamn much, you know, and, and I didn't even know fucking agave was from that one little area. And and I was like, holy shit. When I found that out, I was like, oh my God. And because, uh, you know, we use agave as, an, as a sweetener in the house instead of using like whatever. And it's just off the show. I need to like know more about this fucking tequila company. Oh, dude, but, we gotta get you involved. Yeah, I want to fucking drink. I want to. I want to push it. I want to help you out. Um, 
What other investments have you had like in the last 10 years? Is there anything like you've, I mean, I'm sure you own a home, but I mean, besides that, like. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, thank God. Well, first of all, I got to be like a shout out because my hero, my number one hero in life is Jay-Z. And not just for sheer entertainment of listening to his music. He's got great music, but like I listen to him like a, like a fucking audio book. Like I study what he's saying. And so my whole goal is to try to own as much of myself and as much of everything I'm involved with as I can. So um, with that being said, um, yes, Primitive is one of my biggest investments so far. But um, a lot of people don't know about five years ago we sold it. But I, I was a founder of a beer company called St. Archer, St. Archer Beer. I've heard of St. Archer. Come on, are you kidding me? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was one of the three founders of it, and uh, we ended up selling that to Coors, Miller Coors, about five years ago, which turned out really well. Super excited. Low key, kind of a fluke. We accidentally stumbled into it, but it worked out nonetheless. I was hyped. Uh, and then outside of that, I invest uh, in a lot of real estate apartment complexes, um, storage units, things of that nature. Um, nice, man. And then some stocks and all that. So, you know, my whole goal is like once skateboarding's over, I know there's a window to it. I know, you know, my knees and ankles and all that shit can handle it only for so long. And my high earning potential is only so long. So I don't want to have to change my lifestyle after that. And uh, if, if all that works out well, I want to be able to continue to keep getting wealthier even after it. So yeah, make money while you sleep kinda, even. Fuck it. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of my thought process. So I do have huge aspirations of buying Lambo, <laughs> Bentleys, and all that shit. And once those things go through, I want to call you. I need a Ben Baller chain. Like, oh, I'm, man. I'm, I'm, trust Bro, you, me. I'm, you better hurry up because I got like, I'm probably going to retire in two to three years, dog. Damn. Well, it's gonna be sooner than that, but <laughs> but I need to get a Ben Baller chain, so I'm 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 really excited. But I just try to be smart so that once I start living that lavish lifestyle, I don't ever want to have to stop. No, I feel you. Want to hear something funny? Another another coincidence, just weird like things you're bringing up. So my claim to fame in the music business was I was at the label and part of the A and R department when we signed Jay Z. Jay Z was signed to Priority, so I was. You know, I met him in, you know, obviously early on 96 and um, the running joke is uh, in 2016, we did the, um, did the 20 year anniversary of Reasonable, yep, Reasonable I, Doubt. I, I was seeing all that from Instagram. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're like, hey man, Ben, we want you to host it, you know, cause you were the A&R boom and all, and we talked about it and, you know, um, Biggs, uh, co-CEO, co-founder of Rockefeller, you know, he went to jail for a little bit and he talks about it. He's changed dip. He's like literally a different man, still cool as fuck and everything, but he's become, 10 times, how do I say this? He's be, he's so much more articulate now with expressing how, you know, who he is and everything. And he's become even, he's just so goddamn sharp. And we're doing this interview for Complex and he's like, yo, you know, talking about this. And they asked me a question. I was like, yo, I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't think Jay-Z was gonna be that big, you know? And then <laughs> and then Big said, yo. A lot of people didn't know record label would sign his ass. Yeah, and we signed him. And then Biggs was like, yo, same thing. And then um, they asked me, so, hey, man, so why are you here? You know, honestly, real talk, like a lot of people's favorite album is The Blueprint. My favorite album was Reasonable Doubt because I was involved in whatever. And, and Jay-Z was like, yo, me too. 
And it was just funny because you said that, and, and he's been obviously, come on, man, there's, there's been other people who are, you know, who've been huge entrepreneurs in the hip hop game, but he's like at the apex, you know. We're getting real close to, to the end right now. And, and uh, I just had, wanted to ask, because I said in the first minute of, our, of this interview is, um, bro, have you, heard, have you talked to TK at all, Terry Kennedy? Uh, I talk to him here and there. He hits me up on Instagram from time to time. Um, I see him out skating with like Stevie Williams and stuff, but I haven't seen him in person. Uh, I don't know, man, maybe three, four years. Shit. Yes. It's been, it's been like probably four or five years since I've seen him. Yeah. I was just, just curious because man, you know, me and Stevie go back real, dude, me and Steve, I've known Stevie since 2002, since he was, when he was on chocolate. I've known Stevie for a long fucking time. But yeah, man, TK's like, that's my boy. I just feel bad. Like, you know, like we, we were super close and I just, I ain't heard from him. So, you know, I was just curious. Yeah. No, he's out there. He's skating his ass off for sure. But I haven't personally seen him in like maybe three, four years. We message each other uh, on Instagram here and there. I don't know. It's one of those weird things where like. Trust me, I get it. You know, as life goes on, people, you know, you, you, we got families, we get older and it's just like you just aren't able to get in touch with people the same way and like i don't know man life goes fast bro dog you ain't pff, i'm almost 48 homie i'm be 48 in three months like i'm almost 50 that shit scares the fuck out of me i'm like damn damn, damn. <laughs> yeah exactly bro so damn, yo what, your, your birthday's in january january 27 1973 damn okay okay yeah i'm fucking pff, man i'm like i'm like yoda bro um yeah that's good so every guest that comes on this show the very last question I have for them is, is there anything you'd like to ask me? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Cause you're, I got to tell you, Ben, I, you know, I've known you a long time, but like from afar, but dude, you're one of the most fascinating characters I've come across. And I actually said this to my homie. I'm sure you know him. Cause you know, everybody, my, my man, Steve Lobel. Oh, of course. I know Steve for fucking, we've been friends for almost 30 years, man. Yes. Yeah, Steve Lobel. He's my neighbor. And um, and I told Steve because Steve knows everybody. I was like, man, I told Steve not too long. I was like, hey, you and Ben Baller, I don't know how you guys do it. You guys know everybody <laughs> everywhere. How do you do that? Like, because I've always been a real shy person and not like, uh, like I love people and I I love like meeting people, but like I get real shy and I get like all like oh nice to meet and then I kind of like duck off into my own spot. But I'm like, how do you? And Ben Baller, like, you guys know everybody everywhere in any corner of the earth. Like, how do you do that? Fuck, man. You know, it's weird. I, I think when I was really young, I'd be shy amongst anyone I really liked, whether it be a girl, whether it be a popular kid in school, whatever it be anything. And I think right around sixth grade, my parents got divorced. And I just kind of felt like, yo, man, I need to do something and just like my personality needs to come out like beyond like I acted crazy behind closed doors in front of my sister and my brother in front of my parents you know when no one's looking no one that I knew was looking and I would dance I would do everything whatever and I said look man I need to really come out of this shell and be outgoing because I want to be somebody I don't want to be famous person that wasn't really you know but I was like I want to learn how to just so I would just talk a gang of shit. I would make crack jokes. I want to be a comedian. I want to be this, this, and this. And I would meet people on the street, whether it be like a head gang leader, it could be someone who's a skater. And I just knew how to just talk. And then I think because I shot my, you know, you shoot your shot, right? And you, after a certain point, if you keep shooting, and this is like a basketball metaphor, but at the same time, it's a life metaphor. You keep shooting, 
And you're going to know like, all right, dog, do I stop shooting or do we keep going? Nah, fuck that. You keep shooting. And when you keep shooting, meaning I'm just off the mouth talking shit, you realize, okay, I went too far here. All right. I was a little too invasive here. You know, I, I shouldn't have said that. I was very insensitive here. Boom. And I think I've not perfected it, but throughout so many years of meeting so many people from Michael Jackson to fucking you name it. Um, yeah, you're a master. Yeah, I think I think it just got to a point where I really do feel like it doesn't matter who the fuck it is. I mean, even, you know, a couple of years ago, I was supposed to sit down with Elon Musk. And I already knew, like, you know, the reason why we didn't was because I got locked in my Tesla. And I live tweeted and IG storied it. And he got, got back to him and he was fucking pissed. And he's like, you know, boom. And I was like, you know, fuck him. I don't give a fuck. Like, look, dog, I'm, me and you are two different people. But at the same time, like, I... um in person or on the podcast, people understand me much more. People misunderstand me through a tweet, a caption, or a text or something. You never never know what, you know, how you know what context it's coming from with me. And with that said, um, I really feel like I can get next to anybody and I can have a conversation about something. I don't give a fuck what it is. If it's something I'm attracted to, whatever it may be, it could be fucking Donald Trump, even though I hate his guts. But I've met Donald like once or twice, right? I'm sorry, I met Donald a few times. I could have a conversation with almost anyone. I'm not truly, I really know I could. And not only just a conversation, I could find something. Like you could sit there and talk about Nirvana, boom. I could sit there and talk about something about it and how I have ties to Seattle now and how, boom. I remember going to the first concert and, you know, seeing this, this, and this. And I remember when fucking um, Dave Grohl did the remix to fucking All About the Benjamins with Diddy. And there's just so many different things that I can, you know, just elaborate on. And I think Steve at the same time too, mostly with music, Steve is a fucking, like, bro, he's, it's insane. And Steve is still out there, like, doing that. I'm just kind of like, now I'm kind of like tired. I'm like, you know, I, I just really want to be a full-time dad. I talk shit on the podcast. So I think what it was, the answer to it was, I just, I wanted to do something and I wanted to be, at first, you know, I did, I think I, I, think I wanted everyone to like me. And then when I realized I was trying too hard, I said, I'm just going to be me. And if they don't like me, fuck them. And I'm not here to be liked. And I felt better in myself. I felt way more comfortable in that skin. And I felt like, yo, man, again, all right, I'm shooting here, shooting here, shooting here. All right, this ain't going to work over here. I can't do these layups over here. I could do this 15-footer over here. I could do this. And, and I'm you know, just saying that in terms right, of, right. of speaking to people. Like an analogy. Yeah. And and that's where it is now. And I think I've, I've I, um, it's, <laughs> you know, people see my wife and like, how the fuck did this dude get someone like her and I just and she's like man this guy could fucking talk man you fucking you know like and it's just funny she's like you should have been a fucking attorney you know and it's just it's just funny so yeah that was uh that's a great actually that's probably the best question any guest has ever asked me as crazy you said that I appreciate that thank you yeah man one last question did you do you find once you realize like I don't give a fuck I'm not here to for people to like me do you feel like that you actually found that like people actually ended up liking you more. Like that was a counterintuitive thing. Like, like, fuck it. I'm just going to not give a fuck who likes me. And then you end up realizing like, wow, actually I'm attracting more friends and people are liking me even more because now I'm so free. I think it's funny you say that, right? So now let's say for instance, um, yes, in short, yes. In long, yes. And uh, what I'm trying to say is like, okay, so Let's say, for instance, before, um, I like to troll people, so that's different. That's a very big, terrible habit of mine. 
It is an addiction of mine. When someone says something like, oh man, Ben's punching the air right now. He's probably mad he didn't get this job. I'm like, bro, I don't give a fuck about that job. What I do give a fuck about though is making sure you understand how much you suck because you want to come at me with some fucking, you know, with some hate shit and I'll come back with you because, you know, I fight fire with a fucking nuclear weapon. I'm just, I come back 10 times harder. But what what's funny is I noticed when I didn't really care in that sense, if someone's trying to expose me and say, oh man, you know what, man? I saw Ben, man. He, you know, he's fucking, he went to go see a movie by himself. That motherfucker must have no friends. And I'd be like, bro, I like doing a lot of shit by myself. I'll, I'll come out before they could say it. Like if someone was trying to expose me and say, oh, Ben's lying about this or Ben has this or whatever, I would just come out straight up. I have nothing. I don't like, I don't want to have no secrets like where people feel like they have a power over me or they're going to blackmail me because they saw me at, at lunch with some beautiful girl. Like, oh, I'm going to tell your wife. Like, motherfucker, how about she knows? And, you know, I just felt like, yo, man, you have to find, because I had a lot of flaws and I still do. I had to accept all those flaws even the insecurities. And when I did that, I definitely realized that people liked me a lot more because they were like, ah, oh, no, you know what, dude? This dude actually knows that he's fucking crazy or this dude knows that, you know, whatever. And and he's admitted it and he's faced it. And because I faced adversity all my life, I feel like, you know, I just felt, again, more comfortable in being this way. And, and then, um, you know, I let shit go now. I'll let somebody win an argument, which I never did before. And, you know, I'll let them think like in their head. And then in my own head, I'll be like, yeah, I crushed this dude. I'm like, I'll let him get the best, you know? And yeah, that's just where it was. And I think with- Maturity. Yeah, and the thing is, men in general are definitely much more immature compared to women, you know? Women mature faster. And, and you know, I'm still a 47-year-old, 18-year-old, but definitely, you know, with my son being almost, you know, my son's eight and a half, it's like, I gotta like set definitely a better example, you know, because the internet is forever. And when he sees me saying, you know, crazy shit, like I did a big sweep of things, you know, on, on my my social and my agent deleted like thirty two thousand tweets. He deleted, you know, two thousand Instagram posts. And um, you know, with all that said, bro, I just want to be definitely. I want to lead by example. So, as much as a as a jerk that I could be online, in actuality, in real life, and I tell people like, look, don't worry about if I follow you in fucking on Twitter, or Instagram. Worry if I follow you in life. You know, like for real, I really mean that. You know, in a certain sense, and um. My son is reading things now. He's, you know, he's watching TikTok. He's playing um, Roblox and playing Minecraft. And he's, you know, people are chatting here and there. And I'm explaining to him, he's understanding everywhere I go, doesn't matter where I'm at, someone's taking a picture, someone's videotaping or something. And they're like, hey, dad, are you famous? And I'm like, you know what? No, nah, not really. You know, people just, uh, and I don't want to explain that because that's a weird thing to talk about. Because anything I say, I, I realize he tells his friends. Yeah. Like, hey, daddy, are we rich? And I was like, no, nah, where the fuck, you, what? What are you talking about? No. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You because, watch, yeah. you know, like They're I found They're smart, out, man. They're observant. Dude, my son FaceTimed somebody and was like, look, man, my, my dad has two Ferraris and a McLaren. And I was like, London, don't ever do that again. Never, never. He's like, and you know, when I dropped him off at school, they always wonder like, dad, why are you taking us in the minivan? You know, why don't you like, and then like, I was like, because this is the car, you know, this is, this is our family car. I just didn't want them to be treated any different. And a lot of things that I hated growing up, meaning I hated the rich kids or whatever, I don't want them to like, I don't know, man. You know what I mean? Like I I feel like, damn, the way they're growing up is they're privileged. Yeah. And as grateful as I am, I'm so fucking grateful. I, I literally sometimes get emotional and think like, damn, dog, I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful. I have nightmares about being broke or whatever. And I'm thinking like, because of my kids, I don't care about me. I've lived enough life for me times three. 
but for Hell them. Yeah, you've lived like sounds like you lived like ten lifetimes. <laughs> yeah. So my life, I'm living for my kids now. So what I'm saying is. I grew up like, I can't stand those kids that go to Harvard West. Like, I, I can't wait to fucking play football against them so I could beat the shit out of them. And you're like, yo, why? Because, you know, I didn't have what they had growing up. Now my kids have everything. But at the same time, somehow they do live a, a really balanced life. And, and I want them to understand that there's so much love in this house. Love is so much more important than anything else. I just, that's just basically where I'm at with it. Hey, man, that's, that's words of wisdom right there. <laughs> Well, hey, Paul, seriously, I want to say this, man. I, I don't know how many. I mean, I've had, you know, countless guests, right? So many. We're on episode 127 or something right now. Like, bro, you are definitely probably one of the best interviews I've had. Thank you so much oh, for man. coming on the show, man. I appreciate you, Ben. Thank you so much. It's been a, a pleasure. It's great to have like a full conversation with you, man. And, uh, like a real yeah. one, you know, finally, after yeah. all these years. And yeah. also, please, man, two things, two things before we go. Um one, when COVID like is really like we're, we're good next year or, you know, whatever, definitely let's just chop it up. Or let's just get up and get a coffee, get a lunch or whatever it may be. And number two, please don't forget to send me some tequila, bro. <laughs> oh, dude, the tequila's on its way already. I got you. <laughs> right, I man. got you. And, and uh, yes, I would love to hit you up, sit down, just chop it up. And please remember, I like just don't retire just yet. I got to get a Ben Baller piece. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the cusp of some things that I'm excited about, and I want to treat myself to something nice. So I'm going to give you a holler. Definitely going to do that, man. And, uh, yo, check it out. Miles, man, throw on some Lakey Lake real quick, and let's get into that break. Yo, I hope you guys liked that interview. Um, I truly do feel like it was my best. And uh, thank you, Paul, again, for coming on the show. So, yo, I've always had real ties to the skate community, obviously. Paul's just a nice guy. I still think he'd call me out or, or kind of feel reluctant if I was talking about some bullshit, right, when I talk about Huff or any of the OGs and people I grew up with and shit. But in real time, I was tied down to the skate community in the OG days in the 80s, right? Not this retro fake memory shit, no offense to like fucking um, some of these cats in high fashion that are pushing the skater shit. And their skating is cool, dude. Look, and they get to connect with a bunch of people. You know, when you become famous and, and you become successful, you know, people want to flock to you, boom. And I'm glad they're paying homage to some of these old school dudes. But I'm real LA. The LA skaters, Santa Monica Airlines, yo, my boy Nada's Kappas and fucking Hosoi and Dogtown, all that shit. That shit was out here. It started out here, period, in Cali. Okay. But yo, on the newer generation, not this new generation, but the newer generation, new wave of skaters, right? We talked briefly about my boy, Terry Kennedy, a.k.a. TK, a.k.a. Compton asked Terry, I haven't seen my bro in a long time. I heard some, uh, heard he was going through it a little bit, and I do wish he's okay. I know he's got some kids. He got at least one or two kids. And yo, he put me back on with the skaters tough, Right? Stevie Williams is my dog too, and shout out to him. But like TK, like we rock pretty heavy. And um, his swagger was crazy back then, especially like 04, 05, or no, 05, 06, 07, 08, 09. Yo, his swagger was jacked by so many dudes in hip hop. And at the end of the day, he was taken advantage of by a lot of folks, man. 
It's unfortunate. But yeah, motherfuckers should should pay him some royalties just for fucking just just really just hold Jack, Jack in his whole fucking swag, his whole everything, his outfits to demeanor, everything, right? But um, TK's always been a good dude. I really do need to reach out to him and see what's up with him. He introduced me to P Rod, as I said on the thing, and you know, um, he was signed to Supra. He was a super skater, and uh, he's obviously signed to Pharrell Skate Team, Ice Cream and shit. And that's what put him on. Um, but that Supra tour that we did in 2009 for the TK shoe, yo, that Fly Society, the TK Society shoe was crazy. Like we did, we did a LA appearance, went to Houston, went to Atlanta, DC. NYC, fucking legendary. Shout out to my boy Angel. Shout out to my boy Ashley. Um, shout out to my girl Joy Claire. Um, shout out to my boy Dennis Dirt. And just that whole, that was a fucking vibe, man. That was a really dope ass tour, man. Just really great memories, man. Just those times I cherish forever. That was so fucking awesome, man. I just, man, I, I really, really, really wish I sunk in more of those moments. But yo, real quick, back to COVID, man. There are lockdowns happening again in France and Germany because they feel like it's slipping out of control. They feel with the cases they got are slipping out of control. We got 80,000 a day here, okay? And they're only gonna let people out to leave their homes for essential work or to get essential needs like food, toilet paper, some shit, maybe medicine, I don't know. But yeah, stop thinking this shit is a USA issue. Like, oh, USA is so fucked up, blah, blah, whatever it is. No, we're not, man. We need to fucking protect our people, everyone, kids, cancer patients, older people, your grandparents, your family members. We have royally fucked this up. And for Trump to say like yesterday or whatever, one of his accolades is putting an end to COVID-19. Is he fucking crazy? That's so shameful. That's such a disgusting, terrible lie. Just so many fucking lies, man. It is insane. Right? Like... It's not a USA. It'll be like, oh, it's just a fucking election year. Watch, this shit's going to go away. How's it going to go away, man? China, how's it going to go away in fucking Brazil? How's it going to go away in fucking Korea, right? In Australia, and fucking the UK is about to lock down too now, okay? That shit ain't got nothing to fucking do with the election. Speaking of the election, we're less than a week away from this fucking disaster, this complete disaster of an entire election year. And like I said before, no president will be elected on November 3rd. In fact, I've seen this thing on Instagram or Twitter like saying, oh, due to this, blah, blah, whatever, no, a president won't be elected on that day. No fucking shit, all right? I voted already. My vote, my wife voted. My in-laws voted. My mom voted. My sister voted. I'm sure my brother voted. It's gonna take a few days extra, maybe fucking November 6th, whatever. It might even take a week, all right? And I do expect some shutdowns to happen, whether Dick Stain remains in the office or not. But yo, I truly think he's going to lose, right? And if it's a landslide, there is no lawsuit, whatever. He can say what the fuck he wants, whatever. But if he gets beat like real fucking bad, there ain't going to be no argument, man. It's a wrap. If it's close, we can go with that little fuck shit, you know, that fucking shit that fucked Al Gore and shit that fucked up Hillary and all this other bullshit. But yo, um, and the popular vote and the fucking troll vote, all the bull- listen, no, I think he's just going to win it outright. I think Biden's going to win. And again, by default, right? I'm not a huge Biden fan. But again, you're talking about getting kicked in the dick with a sledgehammer, getting hit in the dick with a sledgehammer, sorry. 
or getting slapped in the face by one of the motherfucking Russian Federation fucking slap contest dudes with the baby powder. All right. All right, guys. Listen. Prepare for a rant. All right. I'm about to rant on some shit. Now, look. I got nothing but love for my boy Jason Arashabin, a.k.a. Jason of Beverly Hills. He's a good dude, a solid dude. Married man, kids, father. He's actually an ally for the most part. I, I can't think of anybody in Los Angeles that does jewelry and does something that's close to what I do that has been an ally. He's never done me dirty, um, like directly. But the way he does business with the professional sports team in LA and in the Bay Area is very Operation Varsity Blues-ish, Okay. If you're not familiar with what Lori Laughlin or Felicity Huffman did to get their kids into USC, then you must have been fucking sleeping under a bottle cap, all right? But Jason of Beverly Hills has spent over a million dollars in sponsorship money with these organizations in sports, right, in LA. Almost a million in advertising with the Dodgers doing NBA championship rings for free for the Warriors, yes, for free, all right, no bullshit, I had a sit down with Kirk LaCobb, all right, who was the fucking vice president of the fucking team, um, or is it Jacob, I forgot, and we went to bat, we were ready to go, that last ring, that last chip that the Warriors got, we were, we were ready to go, like it was, they were, Jason didn't know, he's submitting, boom, we, we were there, we, we started building a ring to show them everything, we're ready to go, right, and at the last moment, you know, we sat down, me and my cousin and, you know, the Warriors staff, and they're like, yo, okay, look at, man, this is the issue now. Jason is willing to pay for all three tiers of rings. There's three tiers. There's front office, there's the players, and obviously the, the coaches, and then there's like the fucking every employee, even the fucking person who hands out the popcorn, all that shit. Jason was paying for all three tiers of rings. We did a budget estimate, whatever. It was over $300,000. I'm sorry. It was over 350000 at least, Okay. So we gracefully bowed out, right? But I get why Jason does this. He has a publicist. He like has, you know, he goes to the NBA draft, the NFL drafts, and he has, you know, people he pays, a bunch of little salesmen here and there and pushing, you know, pushing the jewelry and stuff and getting the first round draft picks and all those people like, hey man, we have this, this, and this. Everything's pushed to an agency. It's real fucking old fashioned. Like just, it, it is a little corny, man, right? And people say, oh, it's smart, whatever. It's just not, that shit's a, it's a dinosaur and it's gonna die soon. Okay, he does his press and marketing the traditional way, right? And it's professional, I get it. He pays for a retainer for press, whatever. And I've done press and marketing for my company, IF & Co., the organic, natural way. Now, what I've done has, we've gone leaps and bounds. We've done things you couldn't even do with money. And that's why it's amazing, you know? And I've just, just been, that's just my own marketing with no formal, like no formal training in marketing, no marketing schools, nothing, just from what I know is going to work, right? I've turned down other major jobs, the World Series of Poker. I was like, nah, man, it's really not that deep. They offered that to me first, was sitting there, a couple other things. But yo, never paid for an ad in my life to this day. Never gave out free jewelry to a rapper or celebrity 
ever. If I gifted somebody, I think I might have gifted like gifted Kai Berger, Gerber a thing for her birthday because she helped me with some things and she's an enormous supermodel. I was like, you know what, makes sense. Very minor things here and there out of my own pocket. It wasn't anything for clout. It wasn't anything for an ad or for a shout out, okay? Because that didn't happen, all right? And I never needed to. But it does upset me when the real way that things should get done is they should have a vote and the players should decide who they want to make the rings because, yo, Jossens and, and Barons, they're not, they're, they're cool, but they're not making the shit that we do. You know what I mean? Like what I'm doing, okay? They got to ask the players, yo, who do you want to make these rings? Like for real. No offense, these dudes in the South, they're not going to make the rings the right way. I'm talking about really make this shit because they they're not used to working with 18 karat platinum. They're not used to working with fucking VVS. Not work, used to working with AAA grade fucking, you know, precious gemstones and sapphires and shit like that, okay? A key few major heads on the Dodgers are my boys. So I already know they ruined there. I've already talked to them. For the Warriors, yo, for that ring that year, KD said something, Steph said something. They all co-signed for me, all right? But again... Mr. Pay to Play came in. Now, one thing I do love is that I've done this all solo dolo, right? Collabs with Murakami, collabs with fucking Cause. I built those relationships legit. Didn't have to pay nobody and sit there and hang out, you know? Because they genuinely fuck with me. I could get to any artist, rapper, singer, whatever I wanted to without any kind of second degree of separation, intro, whatever, boo. I don't need to do none of that shit, all right? And they'll know what it is with me. They'll know who I am. So yes, I, I would be able to technically throw out the first pitch and do cool things with the Dodgers and be treated like a VIP. And, you know, people would know me, whatever, okay? But unless the front office changes at Dodger Stadium, they got to honor the dude who's been paying sponsorship money. Just paid seven hundred thousand dollars in sponsorship money. Yo, that's a lot of money out of pocket. Okay, this ain't hearsay. These are facts. Remember, my agency represents most of these Dodgers, and I want you know uh, the major players on the team. Yo, I went to high school with Elizabeth Cooper. Her dad is Peter Cooper. Used to be a fucking enormous, enormous fucking executive producer in fucking in film. Right? He partially owns the Dodgers, the Warriors. But anyways, look. All this shit kind of was just, was, it didn't make me salty. It was just like, yo, man, this shit is just, that's like that shit that I, and I don't want to talk about entitled or like the fact that Jason grew up rich. I can't get mad at that. You know what I'm saying? My kids are growing up rich, right? And, and I try to treat them normal. For the most part, Jason is a normal dude. But when it comes to this, it's it's just like, it's low-key sucker shit. And I would tell him, you know? And um, he's never going to be like a, a weirdo around me. He's always cool. And he sometimes gets awkward around me sometimes here and there, whatever. But it is what it is. See him at the Dodger games, whatever. And I know he's super tight with the Laker family. So that's totally different. He built a relationship with the Buzz family, with, um, you know, Jerry's son and whatever else. But yo, look, man, I thought about it all. And it put a battery in my back. And it's been a long fucking time. Because you guys know, I haven't been on no jewelry shit, right? And it made me say, fuck it. I'm about to start wearing jewelry again. Why not? Timing couldn't have been fucking better. I just spent $1.6 million on the sickest, the most, the undisputed, nicest jewelry factory and showroom in all of fucking California, period, okay? This shit will rival anyone in California. 
All right, like fucking if Cartier had a fucking office here, it'd be literally, yeah, if they're making jewelry, like where you make jewelry, where you make jewelry is not going to be sexy and clean and everything else. This place is fucking immaculate. Seven bulletproof fucking entries is fucking crazy. My CEO office is going to be there. My cousin Steve, I'm going back to fucking work, going heavy. All right, my flagship store is going to open in January. My flagship store in Beverly Hills is, is still under construction. So 2021, we are going hard in the paint. Right? I'm going to keep my foot on fool's necks and I'm going to step on it with the second foot when I'm fucking ready to get, oh, we got off my neck, boom. Then my left foot going to get on your neck. All right? None of this weak-ass CVD jewelry or this SI3 icebox level trash. I don't fuck with none of that shit. And for the record, I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast, I don't know who the fuck fake jewelry buster was. Never had any ties to him. Was never me. I put that on my fucking kids. Everyone fucking knows how much I love my children. I ain't got to do that stupid ass shit. Dude is definitely a jeweler because the terms he talked about, like porosity, this, not whatever. But I know he wasn't from LA and I know he wasn't from fucking East Coast. I don't think he was in America. Dude must have been from Europe or some shit. Just the way he talked, the way he's, his slang was off. It was, and he was trying to make like, you know, little, little things here and there. But yo, none of this pay for celebrity shout outs, cornball shit is ever going down with my company. Okay. I'm going to continue to take my museum quality jewelry to a whole nother level. And that means it's going to be even harder to get a piece made by me. Unless your creativity is insane. And if you're a rapper, then it's just pretty much not going to happen for you. Okay. Because I've avoided any typical rapper for years now. Okay. Cuddy, totally different cloth. Tyler, Tyler, by any means, is he typical, okay? I've even turned down Kanye in, in during the pandemic for jewelry. So imagine what where I'm going to be on 2021, all right? But yeah, yo, we had four fucking collaborations with Murakami this year. Got canceled because of COVID. A world tour. Hong Kong, Seoul, New York, Tokyo. It's about to be lit, right? So I'm about to go crazy with those planned collaborations with Murakami Probably in 2021, maybe 22. But look, I always find a way. Nothing will ever stop me from that. I'm always going to find a way to win. All right? So, jewelers, I don't think you guys need to be scared so much, right? I'm just about to set the bar so much higher and motivate you guys to level up. And if you don't and you want to keep using the fucking HPHT and fucking Clarity Enhanced Stones and the fucking CVDs and all shit, yo, that's it. Okay, that's on you. Motherfuckers are getting exposed with that shit. It's just, it's a sad day, man. Speaking of jewelry, though, this past week, because I haven't been on, on like social like that, yo, I just finished one of the fucking sickest cartoon chains you can imagine. And for all people, corporate, for General Mills, like I said, I'm getting that corporate bag, you know, the Snickers, everything else. For General Mills, did that fucking chain. And yes, General Mills, the guys who own Lucky Charms, Honey Nut Cheerios, Tricks, Silly Rabbits, Tricks are for Kids, That Tricks, right? Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Well, this piece happens to be the 2020 Tricks Rabbit. Yes, the new bunny rabbit is a different shape. It's like a weird thing. They got this thing called Cereal Squad. You can Google it, right? And I made this piece for them. And it's for a charity. I think it's going to go to like the Children's Hospital or some shit. It's fucking sick. All right? 3D, you'll see. 
I made this shit in eight fucking days too. Clowning. Can't wait to see his fucking tricks. Rabbit is fucking lit. I also got way more fly shit coming soon. So, you know, stay tuned, man. Um, the hobby. My 2020 World Series Dodgers X Tops collaboration championship set is dropping this afternoon. If you are listening in real time, it should be real soon. Okay. This is a limited edition set that I designed. All right. And this will be available for less than a day, I believe. I don't know. I think it's going to sell out way faster than a day. So it'll probably be sold out by tonight. Okay. Um, I believe the price will be about $100. And yes, there will be parallels and rare shit in there. Autographs. There's going to be hits. All right, guys. Like, I got it in with this motherfucking thing. I put my time and effort on it. Was building. Was hoping to fucking guy that we won the World Series. And we did. I can't wait for you guys to see it. It's going to be crazy. Again, this is going to be rare. Like my Topps Chrome shit. And I know a lot of motherfuckers made money off of that. So good luck. Go out there and grab that shit. Now, if you're listening in real time, my Willie Mays card is out now and available for another 21 hours or so. Go grab it. It ends Friday morning at 10 a.m. That's tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. So um, my next project, 2020 card, is Nolan Ryan, right? Pitching legend. And then after Nolan, it's finally the kid. Ken Griffey Jr. Can't wait to get to fucking Seattle in that 20 thousand dollar seattle mariners chain giveaway okay this weekend i'll be putting up two one-of-one beckett authenticated project 2020 autograph cards of course gold autos of course one-on-ones with the bgs legit slab fucking super nice and uh very rare i'm gonna sell fast my roberto clemente autos they should drop next week sometime i think thursday or friday just stay tuned and by the way, my San Diego meetups are next week for the San Diego BBDTC Hobby Boxes. They go down in San Diego. I cannot wait to meet you guys in Dago, all right? I'll be finally also putting up my new Ben Baller Did the Chain Iced Out Lettered Tees soon. Um, I don't know when yet. But yo, shout out to the best sanitizer brand in the country. Yo, Possibly the world. Okay, guys. Shout out to Drop Science based out of Portland, Oregon. They have literally the perfect recipe for legit hand spray sanitizer. Like with great scents too. The shit smell good. Lemon. They got peppermint. They got something else. I forgot. But yo, it has 80% ethyl alcohol. This shit is legit. I've been using it heavy for over a month now. Okay, hit them up on Instagram at Drop Science if you need some. They're called Drop Science. And I'll be putting up a few for sale on bbdtc.com. Probably, you know, for that same time, same price I charge for the sanitizer, whatever, just so you guys could sample it out for yourself. I don't have a lot because I'm, you know, giving away in the boxes and special, you know, gift boxes and stuff like that and for fam and homies and whatever and just promo use, but the shit is lit. All right. I'll fuck with Drop Science. More than I fuck with Purell. I fuck with it over Purell. So that means I fuck with it over everything. Okay. Now, as far as entertainment, I ain't been watching shit to be real. So I've been working on jewelry all week and my car designs for the World Series. Uh, I did finish Southland and I wish there was 10 more seasons, but oh well. 
So there's pretty much nothing to watch. So send me suggestions, please. Keep in mind that I've probably already seen it, even if it's new, because I'm fucking psycho. But still, please send me suggestions. Now, last but not least, I don't really talk about the car industry so much, right? I have my boy Alejandro on here, talk about cars here and there. But this is like, there's been some major drama in the last 48 hours in the exotic car industry, really the last week, right? With a company called SSC North America, which happens to be often confused with Carol Shelby because the owner of the company's name is Jared Shelby, right? And they're both similar, you know, this guy, whatever. Anyways, Carol Shelby is the guy who owns Shelby La Cobra, right? Featured in the movie Ford versus Ferrari. But Jared, who owns and founded SSC, has this hypercar called the, the Tuatara, which recently went for sale, right? They put 12 slots up, 12 units for sale. The price tag on the on the car was $1.9 million, right? And they sold the slots up. Like the slots went pretty quick. Okay. And the car industry is really small. So SSC claimed that they broke the land speed top speed world record, okay? They did a press release. They released a video that it broke the world record. And um, their Tour Tara, they claimed that it did on a private road 331 miles per hour. Said it reached 331 miles per hour and then it had to go back uphill a little bit. So it averaged 316 miles per hour and it that smashed the previous record held by Bugatti which was at barely over 300 miles per hour, right? And Koenigsegg had had it at like 280 something. I forgot the exact numbers, but like, you know, you go to 280, okay, you can go to like 298 or to 300. Then to 300, to 308 is a big deal, right? These It's it's really difficult to do this type of stuff with the scientists and the engineers involved and everything, right? But these guys claimed 331 and they had the video out. Everyone saw it. If you fuck with cars at all, you, there's no way you couldn't have heard about it, right? But the problem is, they didn't get their fucking verification correct. They didn't fucking have third-party verification. They didn't have any of this shit. And I didn't think about it until a very famous car YouTuber named Shmi, who I have publicly and openly showed my dislike for, right? But this dude made a very straightforward, unbiased video exposing how this world record was fake. And I watched it. And it was very well put together. Everything he said made sense. And again, the only Asian stereotype that I did fall into is that I almost got a perfect score. I missed one question on my SAT. So math was my shit. So was physics. So was calculus and everything, right? But all the points were covered and made, right? Then I know some people who have financial interest in Koenigsegg, right? And others who put their money down on this to a tar and were getting it. So I knew two guys who were buying this $1.9 million car with the hopes that they thought that they were getting the fastest car in the world. Now, there are a lot of other people out there who just spent $3 million on the latest Bugatti, on the Pur, on the Sport, right? And then guys who bought Koenigsegg, bought the Jesco, bought um, the Regera, thinking that those were the fastest cars in the world. But here comes SSC out of nowhere, even though they were building it and people knew they were building it for five years or whatever. And so do you see where this shit is going to? There's gonna be lawsuits like a motherfucker, People had their faith in this, and these are rich people, so they're going to be bitching and complaining. You know, you spend that kind of money, you, you, you're going to have a lot of, you know, a lot of right to talk shit, okay? So the shit show began yesterday morning. My boy Dan M.I., who was on the show, he put up some facts and things like that, 
And the issue is this, the numbers, the physics, the editing of the videos, all the above were fraudulent. I'm sorry, fugazi, okay? The only last slight chance of evidence that these guys SSC had in their favor was the GPS unit that they used to measure. You know, that right there is gonna fucking validate everything, right? And it was made by a company called Duotron, which is considered the highest, most accurate standard of GPS equipment in the world, right? They're based out of Australia. And SSC stated on October 22nd when they announced it that this was backed up by the Guinness Book of World Records. It was backed up by Duotron. Boom. Guinness Book of World Records had made a statement saying, no, we did not. We weren't there. So how can we fucking validate this? Boom. We could look over your videos and see whatever. And I don't know what happened. But Duot then they went and said, because people were kind of starting to talk about it a little bit. Then on October 26th, which is just a few days ago, SSC made a statement saying, Duotron has backed all our, our, our data. They have... Um, you know, made their claim, you know, they back our claims, they know what's good, blah, blah, whatever. They they validate our shit, everything's good. Duotron on October 28th went and decide to make their own fucking statement. And the founder of Duotron said, yo, I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. They didn't say that exactly, but they said, never have we verified or backed up any data made by SSC in regards to that world record run, allegedly that alleged world record run, as nobody from our company was there to witness the run, to make sure no manipulation was involved, and there, I don't know, man, it, it was just crazy that nobody in SSC's camp decided to be like, yo, you know what? We're going to put a press release out. You didn't check that two, three, four hours ago, they fucking, the company you said backed you has just said that they don't back you. So it's quite, quite the opposite. And then you got idiots telling people, well, what are you talking about? All you got to do is send it in. What are you going to send in, dumb fuck? How, you know, it's, it, once they, it's been touched with somebody, they, they said they have to be there in order for it to be valid. They can't validate, they can't verify anything unless they were there. No one was there. So you have to do the run again. The only problem is this dude don't want to do the run again who drove because everyone's been backpedaling, everyone's starting to catch heat. And again, it's fucking bogus. SSC made a fucking statement yesterday afternoon saying they stand behind their claims, stating they did break the world record. The only issue is they used the wrong video. Bullshit. Okay. The speedometer was off in the video. Even the fucking driver, I mean, the videographer, he had said like, oh, I need to look over my edits, blah, blah, whatever. And then they said that there was two edits that no one ever saw and those would be fixed. Yeah, sure, bro. When Konasek broke the record, I think they released a video like two days later. These guys took nine fucking days. And then they took two days to fucking respond to whatever, and it's bullshit, okay? You couldn't even, the driver even said he couldn't see the speedometer after 300 miles per hour. It just stopped. Now, of course, the GPS unit and the, the laptop had shit, but it, that was off too. The whole shit was not calibrated. It was, it was trickery, okay? And they fucked up by releasing that video saying that there's going to be another video that shows it. No, it's too late for all that. You can't get it verified already because Duotron already said they're, they're done. And it's just, man, you know what? The way Shmi broke it down, he said, look, it, this car was probably doing with the numbers and the gears and everything, this car was probably doing around 288 miles per hour, which is still a shitload. It's an enormous milestone, okay? But I'll tell you this, that car might not be able to fucking, it might not even be able to break 300 miles per hour, okay? 
So like I said, there's been a lot of backpedaling going on behind the scenes, that videographer that they threw under the bus. He's getting videos deleted from YouTube for copyright shit and everything. Even the videographer who SSC did throw under the bus is now deleting videos and shit, right? So it's just fucking sus all over the place. And it's the most drama I've seen in hypercar just history, right? It's just super drama. And that shit's all fucking rich pricks and whatever. You'd be like, oh, you're rich. A lot of motherfuckers didn't come up the way I did, right? From the mud. But it's, it's been a long time since I've seen this kind of drama. It's funny. But the reason why I got so consumed is because I got homies who have vested interest in, you know, in the other companies, whatever. And I feel bad for those who paid. My boy paid almost $2 million for a car made by guys who lied and tried to cover it up. All I know is this ain't going to end well. I hope there's another statement. Whatever they're going to do, they're going to have to run, run it again. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. This is a bad situation. SSC is being very Donald Trumpish about the whole situation. Not transparent at all. Just trying to be like, no, we're good. And the fanboys are falling. But that shit ain't not. When you spend, those fanboys ain't spend that kind of money. All right. But for, listen, for any of you guys who love cars, go to YouTube and check out Shmi's video and judge for yourself. All right. I think they're lying. I think they're guilty. I think it sucks. You know what else sucks? That is the end of this episode. <laughs> yep, that's it. Yo, it's a long one. I gave you guys a lot of game. I gave you guys a great interview, but that is it. I want to thank you always for tuning in. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate all my listeners, all my subscribers. Please hit the subscribe button. Please tell a friend to tell a friend to hit the subscribe button. All right. I'll see you guys after the weekend. What a fucking week. What a show, man. And yo, oh yeah, always remember, this is not your practice life. Peace, y'all.